first talk about my background and Muslim practices with my family, followed by my experiences in London with my uncle and his family, and then my vision and walk with Christ. So please do bear with me as they all interlink. Just promise me not to sleep. So I was born in the Gambia in West Africa, a small country affectionately known as the Smiling Coast because Gambians just love to smile. The country is made up of, 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 made up of approximately 85% Muslims, 10% Christians, and 5% other religions. Being born into a devout Muslim family, I was taught at a very young age to be prayerful. So we read and recited the Quran daily and mastered what we were reciting. During the month of Ramadan, which is on now, I think, the Muslim feast celebrated as we do our Easter feast, I could recall as early as the age of eight years old religiously fasting and praying from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. for 30 days. I did this voluntarily, even though my parents didn't want me to undertake this rigid fasting regime at such an early age, really. But I was determined to fast and copy mom, dad, and the rest of the family. I didn't realize it then, but these denials of food and praying regimes were a preparation for my later life with Christ, a life which will be based heavily on prayer, fasting, and formulating a deep and intimate relationship with God. I am the only girl in my family and I have four brothers. My dad doted on me and treated me like a princess. He always bought me porcelain dolls to play with, but he should have known better, as I used to break them daily. And as quickly as they were broken, he will also quickly replace them. Oh, I wish I knew about the Antiques Roadshow. Can you imagine for now? My mom was a very kind, generous, and deeply prayerful woman. And dad, well, was average. They were very giving and caring to the poor, lost and underprivileged. And for as long as I could remember, we always had people streaming in and out of our homes till late at night, so they could be helped either financially with bags of rice, food, drinks, toiletries, clothes, shoes, etc. Our house was similar to how the food banks operate now. But my dad went a lot further. I especially remembered once walking home with him from school and he saw some children walking bare feet. He just whipped my shoes off my feet and gave it to one of them. I was so mad at the time, as I loved those shoes, but he just shrugged it off 
and informed me that we should always help others less fortunate than us. He always reminded us of how fortunate we were to be in the privileged position we were in. So in retrospect, I came from a very happy, very caring, loving, and stable home. My mother once confided in me that when I, that when I, that when I was born, she was told to always keep me in the background, i.e. out of sight, especially when we attended occasions like weddings, christenings, and other big feasts. I, I, especially, I especially remembered an imam who had the same role as my uncle did, that is leading the prayers at the mosque, saying to me at the time that I did not look like a Muslim, but that I looked more and acted like a Christian, whatever that meant. We continued to live happily as a family. Then suddenly, out of the blue, my dad died at the young age of 46 years old of food poisoning and pneumonia in Africa. A happy family life suddenly crashed. We were all lost and shocked by dad's sudden death. As we all thought our dad will be with us forever, and though I loved my mother very much and had a great relationship with her, I was closest to my dad and just could not understand or process why he was suddenly gone. I was just 12 years old then and about to enter my teens and was looking forward to spending my teenage years with him. I became very low. In fact, on reflection, depressed, as I was missing the twirls he did with me when he came home from work, as I squealed with joy and laughter in the room with him referring to me as his princess. After Dad's huge funeral, which the majority of Gambians attended at the time, including most of the schools to support us, my uncle who lived in London with his wife suggested to my mom and auntie, dad's sister, that it would be better if we joined them in London, that is one of my brothers and a cousin, to continue our education and have a fresh start again. They agreed to this suggestion, so we joined my uncle who, lived, who used to live in Battersea with his wife and their family of five when I was 15 years old. He enrolled us at Battersea County School to continue our education, and we lived as a family. I really tried to integrate into that system, but it was very hard going for me. Life in London was so different from the Gambia. No nannies, no maids, no helpers. I was not used to this, I, as I had to help with the household chores, coupled with helping to look after my nephews and nieces, study and do my schoolwork on top of all that. I found it hard going. And worst of all, I was missing dad, mom, and the family terribly. I managed to finish my schooling, then did various part-time jobs here and there to be independent. So when I was 21 years old, 
I asked my uncle whether he could pay for a private secretarial Pittsman's course at a secretarial college in Wimbledon. As I just wanted to start full-time working, backed up with good qualifications, to try and carve out a fruitful career for myself. I enrolled and chose the six-month course and passed with good grades and distinctions. I was advised by the principal at the college at the time to upgrade and aim for a guild degree in secretarial studies. I declined the offer and focused on finding a good job with the qualifications gained at Pittman's College and was successful at getting my first job with the media at Fleet Street, working for the Daily Mirror, Sunday Mirror, and Revale at the time. Being a bit financial independent, I decided to move away from home at 22 years old into a flat of my own. That step of moving into a flat by myself was extremely daunting at the time as I was always with family and suddenly I was going to be living alone. I could do that now, but not then. I was tormenting myself by wondering how I was going to cope living by myself with no family and having no one to talk to and interact with at home. What a big baby I was. I had lots of friends and my family were there for me too, but I felt I was missing something but did not know what it was at the time. As I sat in my room on the first day of my move, feeling very sorry for myself, with tears rolling down my cheeks and all those thoughts going through my head, I felt some movement in the middle of my forehead. And it was like a sliding screen opening up. Without warning, I was instantly transported from where I was sitting in my bedroom to outside the street I lived in, in an instant. As I walked along the road, surrounded by darkness, with my head bowed down, I was suddenly made to look up, and in front of me, at a short distance, was a man in a white robe, perched on a cross, surrounded by a great big bright light, limping towards me. In my mind, I knew this man, perched on this cross. But because I did not have a relationship with, with Christ then, was unable to call out his name or have some form of communication with him. As he came closer to me, and as we were about to walk past each other, he turned to me, called my name, and said, Ollie, if you follow me, I will take you to heaven and pointed his right hand heavenwards. As I looked up, the sky opened up and he peeled the sky right down to where I was standing and made me step into heaven. Now, heaven was steeped in pure light and there was this indescribable peace everywhere which stayed with me the whole time I was there.
there were people walking about, men, women, children, even people I knew who've passed on, I saw them walking. And these people were walking just like we do in our daily lives, walking in the streets and just going about our businesses. The only difference was the communication. And in heaven, the communication was done through the mind. So you're walking, you know with what everybody is talking, and you're communicating in that way. That was how I was made to understand it. You know, like when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we know it goes in our spirit, we understand it, we process it, and we then know that we've been spoken to. That's how it was in heaven. As I worked further, I saw some brown horses grazing in a field, and they were pure white birds flying all around. I noticed a special white horse was separated from all the other horses and was alone. This horse had the sword of the spirit coming out of his forehead and is pure white. When I first had this vision, he was some yards away. I could, see he, I could say he was like towards that door there. But as I start to talk about this vision more and more and more, this horse is now closer. It's not so far away anymore. And then, as I walked further on from this horse, I saw what looked like Victoria waterfalls cascading down. Lots and lots of beautiful, very loud noise, crashing. And it was as if I was pushed into the water and I was jumping into it. And as I was jumping, it was all turning bubbles. There was all these bubbles in the water. And it was quite enjoyable just playing into that water. And then, as I was enjoying this moment, I was then suddenly transported again in another area. And in this area, I was made to look up. And when I look up, looked up, there was this big, dark expanse, like what they call the black hole. I mean, remember, the sky was peeled down already. So there was this big, vast expanse. And coming from that big, vast expanse were lots of fireworks exploding all across this, this dark darkness. And it was a lot and powerful, you know, sort of display of these fireworks. And I don't like fireworks, but I really enjoyed looking into this display. And suddenly, as the display came to an end, I find myself nestled back in the arms of Jesus. But this time, he was carrying me to my home in Battersea. So he started to climb up the stairs leading to my room. When he got into my room, he gently laid me down on my bed, bent over, and transferred all the light that was in him into my whole body, which became like x-ray. So when I looked down, I could see my whole organs, 
See, every, my arteries, my intestines, you name it, every part, even the water going around. And when I looked up, it was like a light switched on on my head. And I could see the, my brain. If I looked sideways, my ears. And everything up there I could see. And then, suddenly, he took out a lump of ice, was as big as this, like a mug of, you know, cup. And he laid it on my chest. And this lump of ice was just melting, melting, melting. And I was really relaxed because Jesus was just next to me, very quiet, very humble, very peaceful, and I was in that realm of that peace, of quietness, and just enjoying the moment. So as the ice began to melt, I really felt at ease and at peace. And he waited till the whole ice melted into my whole body. Then he slowly got up, stretched out his hand and recited John 14, verse 27 to me. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. It is not as the world gives that I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not let it be afraid. Then with the word, till we meet again, he turned around and departed. It was only as he was going, I began to feel cold. Because whilst he was there, I was warm. The ice was melting, everything was there, it was nice and warm. But I was shaking. I was saying, come back, come back. But he just, he left. So I sat that when he left, I was thinking, why didn't I know who this man was? I know, I'm a, you know, I was a Muslim then. And I was taught at school about Jesus, and we know the Christian religion, but I just could not have that communication. So I arranged to meet a friend the next day to just share my, the testimony, like I'm sharing it now. But I, as I was standing by the bus stop, there was some Christian group beating their drums, dancing, glorifying God. And something just prompted me to tell them this testimony. And I told them the testimony, and they all fell prostrate and said, you, you've definitely met with Christ. Come and follow us, because if you do, you can turn your back on this wicked world, and we will definitely take you under our wings. I just said, no, I'm not ready yet, and left them. Can you imagine what Jesus was saying? You wait till I'm ready for you, Ollie. <laughs> Look at me now. So before I met my husband, I was engaged to a handsome Arab prince who was a Muslim. That did not work out. But obviously now, I'm, you know, I'm married to my husband who is a Christian and, he's, and God has blessed us with four beautiful children and they were all brought up in the Christian faith, and I'm the first womb in the, the whole generation in my family whose womb opened up to serve Christ. 
we now have four adorable grandchildren who mean the world to us. But one thing God shared with me, that's why I wanted to share this testimony with you for anybody in the situation that I'm in. He told me, in, he said to look at Matthew 23, 9. Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. And that was the ultimate turnaround for me to absolutely focus on God, who I see as my father. But then I say to him, seeing that you are my only father, you're in trouble because you're going to give me everything I want. And obviously we have our fights and we do fight. But over the years, I have grown to really love him, be close to him, and I trust him. And because I trust him, I believe that he has opened up my ministry for me because everything I'm doing because it's because of him. Without him, we are nothing. With him, we are everything. And I can say to you that you can never ever meet with Jesus and stay the same. And I truly believe without a doubt that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, according to John 14, chapter, John chapter 14, verse 6. And John chapter 8, verse 32 states, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And verse 36 ties it neatly. And if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And that is who I am today. And I believe all of you are going to be free today if you are not already free. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to have a time of anointing with David and Pat, obviously, supplying the music in the background. They anointed, anointed music. They've been, you know, blessing us whole day. So, if, you know, what we'll do is anybody who wants to have this anointing, please come forward. There's going to be four of us. There's going to be myself, Martin, Alison, Jonathan. We'll be positioned in the front of the aisle. And then as we come, you know, as you come forward, receive your anointing oil. Please just go and sit. You know, I just go and have some prayers said over you on my right or on my left. There's the chairs in there. Yes? And the prayer team come first to be anointed. Okay. So we can then go. Yes. So Peter has, you know, sort of suggested, and it's a good idea, can the prayer teams please come first to be anointed before any, everybody goes? Mm -hmm. 